You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. You're listening to the Average Conservationist Podcast, brought to you by Go Hunt and in partner with 2% for Conservation. Sign up today to become an insider at GoHunt.com. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for Conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitments as popular brands like Sitka, First Light, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their community for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for conservation at Fish and wildlife.org that's fish and wildlife.org what's up everyone welcome to another episode of the average conservationist podcast and i'm your host marcus ewing uh, we got a good one for you today. Today, I am joined by Shannon Waters and Matthew Weaver. Uh, Shannon is the owner and founder of Newly 2% Certified Gastronome, and Matthew is the safety and operations manager over there. And <clears throat> for those of you not familiar, uh, Gastronome makes uh, freeze-dried meals uh, specifically for, you know, backcountry-style hunts or, you know, not even hunts, but just backcountry meals, really. And I have got to tell you, if you're not familiar or if you have not tried them yet do yourself a favor stop what you're doing go out and and pick up some of their meals because they are absolutely incredible um we kind of get into it uh during the episode uh but they had me uh basically do like a taste test um of theirs so that i had a little bit of experience uh to to speak to uh when we were recording and when we were talking and it's it, it it tasted honestly not like something out of a package, but rather like something that you would make, um, you know, for your family for dinner. I mean, it, it really was that good, and it was 
Uh, it was a lot of food. It was hearty. I mean, I can't say uh, enough good things uh, about the products that they have. Uh, but throughout the course of the conversation, we get to hear about Shannon's background and, you know, how she, you know, h- how she got down the path of becoming a chef, uh, what that looked like and what ultimately led her to starting the company. Uh, and then uh, Matthew gets to talk about really how he was brought into the fold, his journey uh, from Iowa out to Montana, um, you know, and what it looked like for him to get involved and, in, you know, all the, the work that he's doing um, there at Gastronome as well. Um, and then not only that, you know, being uh, kind of a two man show, um, so to speak. You know what they're doing from a conservation standpoint, how they're they're giving back uh, with their time and with their dollars, and really what conservation means to them. Um, knowing that, you know, their meals are being used, um, you know, predominantly by people who are spending time um, outdoors. So really cool episode. I, I had a great time talking to these guys. And again, if you haven't, please be sure to go out and pick up some pick up some gastronome because their food is just incredible. So episode sixty six. Enjoy. Before we get into our conversation with Shannon and Matthew, though, I want to take a minute to tell you about our friends over at Stone Glacier. Uh, If you haven't already uh, by now, be sure to download the Stone Glacier app. Uh, You can find that on iTunes or Google Play, depending upon your device. Um, Stone Glacier actually just launched their Black Label uh, series of uh, of products, Um, so you can definitely be sure to check that out on there as well. But with, with the app and through Stone Glacier, you can stay up to date on all the latest uh, happenings, news, releases. Uh, they have some really cool content in terms of like hunts and videos that they put out recently, um, even some wild game cooking in there. So really cool, really informative, kind of lets you uh, stay up to date right there from your phone. Uh, and obviously, if you're looking for a pack, because we're right on the brink of hunting season for a lot of places, I know some places antelope has already started. Uh, but check out any of their packs. They're all awesome. You know, depending upon, uh, the style of hunting that you're doing, whether you're hunting from the truck, a base camp, uh, if you're packing everything in on your back, uh, Stone Glacier has, you know, a ton of different options to choose from. Everything is super high quality. It's rugged. It's dependable. It's everything that you look for, um, in a pack. Uh, so do me a favor, check out stoneglacier.com. All right. Joining me on the podcast today, I'd like to welcome in from newly 2% certified, Gastro Gnome, Shannon Waters, and Matthew Weaver. Guys, how are you? Good. Hey. Yeah, well, I mentioned it before we started recording here, but uh, obviously you guys closed the doors on the business for a few hours so that uh, you could find some quiet space and uh, hop on and record with me. So I really appreciate you guys taking some time. Yeah, we're happy to be here. Of course. Yeah, so there's obviously a a lot of stuff that I want to get into the taste testing that you had me do prior to even uh, <clears throat> agreeing to the podcast. Uh, I feel like we should get to that a little bit later on um, so that people first off can kind of get an understanding of gastronome, uh, you know, Shannon, your background, Matthew, yours as well, and kind of <clears throat> get a, a, a better sense of, of the brand of the company before we kind of get into the, the side-by-side taste test. Sure. All right. Let's get started. Yeah. So, Shannon, I want to know kind of what led you uh, to the path. Um, Like, one, because I know you were a chef prior, well, you're still a chef, excuse me, Um, but uh, you were working in a more formal setting uh, as a chef as opposed to now. Um, So, kind of what led you down that path to, to becoming a chef and then to really where you're at now? 
Well, um, it was a circuitous route. I was cooking for roommates and friends in college, um, studying economics, and just fell in love with the community aspect of food that would bring us together over something that wasn't, um, I don't know, so meaningless as going to a bar and just drinking with your friends. Having people over for dinner provided an opportunity to connect that um, I was really looking for. And so when I was graduating from college, it was 2009, um, and that wasn't a great time to graduate with an economics degree, if everyone can remember what was going on during that period. Um, And I had a conversation with my dad who sort of enlightened me on the concept that I could do whatever I wanted to do, um, not what I was supposed to do. And that's when I started to entertain the idea of a career in food. So um, by way of starting prep cooking, then line cooking, then going to culinary school, um, and then taking jobs that I was really interested in across the country, um, mostly farm-to-table scene. Um, I eventually opened a consulting business that allowed me to open a brewery in Bozeman, and um, that was where I started to dive into the backcountry and eat backcountry meals. So, excuse me, gosh, keep clearing my throat here. What, uh, I mean, what does that look like? So when you started off kind of, like you said, doing like prep, like, uh, as a prep cook and then a line cook, I mean, were you just working at like local, uh, maybe like smaller mom and pop type restaurants or were you working at some like pretty high end type oh. eateries? Yeah. My first cooking job ever was at the little Nell in Aspen, um, which is one of the most incredible restaurants I've ever eaten at, but it has an awesome reputation um, for bringing in some of the best chefs in the country and hosting an incredible amount of fantastic cooks that come through there. So no, my first job wasn't a mom and pop place. It was a really, um, fantastic restaurant. So I started prepping there. It's not like I touched any, (laughs) any important food. I was stealing cases of carrots and working in the banquet scene of that, um, whole space. So I, I didn't do anything. Um, monumental there. But for me, it was monumental. I think that when you're sitting in front of a stack of cases of um, fruits and vegetables that someone just says, this better be done by noon and walks away and you're like, oh, okay, well, I've got till noon to do something that should take a couple days. So I'm just going to start running. Um, That definitely taught me a lot. And it was a really good experience. So now you said you moved out to or you were in um, Bozeman when you started a brewery or did not, did you open that brewery like on your own or did you just start working there? So I had a consulting business that, um, opened restaurants for other people. So people would hire us to come open essentially like their idea and their kind of dream concept. And we were hired on to develop menus, staff, um, things of the sort. So I moved to Bozeman for one of those and ended up staying. Okay. So now you said that kind of like it was that position that led you into uh, kind of backcountry meals and stuff like that. So, I mean, there's there's obviously quite a difference between like farm to table type type food or meals and then obviously preparing backcountry meals. So what was it that made you want to take that leap or what got you interested in that? I mean, because that's, you know, obviously a fairly, uh, fairly good difference there. So what what kind of caused that or prompted that? I mean, I don't actually think there's that big of a difference. Um, when I cook food now, it's very similar to the way that I know how to cook food. Um, and I don't think it was that gigantic of a leap to say, like, I'm eating and cooking this great food or teaching line cooks how to cook this phenomenal meal. 
And then I go into the back country and I eat this like dust that has no, <laughs> not satiating at all. Um, can this translate to that? And so um, if that is a giant leap in concept, yes, but it doesn't um, feel like a giant leap as far as moving that idea of good food to a bag. Yeah. And I should have maybe rephrased my question because like, as soon as you started to like answer it, I was like, well, shit, the food that she has, it's not really different. Right. Because like, I just, I had the chance to try some today. Um, and I, I was holding off and doing it until literally like right before we could record. Um, so that it was very fresh in my mind and, and I could, you know, talk about it without having to try to recall. But yeah, there's like that, doesn't seem like that different of a meal than something that you would be like, oh yeah, this is what we're going to have. You know, we're going to have sausage and rigatoni for dinner tonight, right? Like that's, it doesn't taste that much different being out of a bag or being, you know, served to you on a plate. Yeah. And I think that that was the goal. And of course it wasn't as easy as just being like, okay, this translates directly to a bag and it's done Um, to get it to resemble what I believe food should be um, is a lot of work. And there's a lot of science that goes into that. And fortunately we have Matthew here, um, who helps bring that all home. So, um, yeah, the concept hopefully shows up in the bag as something exactly like you would eat at home and not very far off. It's just not as simple as, Oh, just put it in the bag. Yeah. Just uh, dehydrate it and then just throw it in the bag, add some water. You're good to go. So, yeah. so Matthew, tell me what it is that, uh, that you do there and oh, so, tell what you do and kind of how you were brought into the fold. Yeah, so my title is the production and safety manager. Um, so I help, um, I assist in like the development of new um, products and that sort of deal. But a lot of it is the day to day of getting food that Shannon makes into the freeze jars, out of the freeze jars, into the bags, and to the people that are going out into the back country. Um, and with that comes a whole lot of safety regulation type stuff. Um, so lots of paperwork, talking to um, you know, the administrative guys over at FDA and that sort of deal. Um, and just dealing with kind of a lot of what happens after Shannon, um, cooks the food before it goes into the bag. Um, so my background is I have a degree from Montana state, um, in food enterprise, which is a new degree at the, um, university. I started as a chemical engineer, um, love science, um, but didn't love that science and I'd always loved food and was trying to figure out something that I could kind of connect the two and that with that new program being um, Developed that's what I jumped into and it fits like so well with what Shannon does um, a lot of food science guys Will butt heads with chefs like you see the Beyond Burger and just like crazy stuff that food scientists are trying to do and just like advance food right and the stuff that's like not even really recognizable as food. Um, but then like my approach to food science has always been kind of like take the technologies that we have and that sort of deal, but try and keep um, like the traditional French culinary, you know, like keep it as traditional as possible. And so with Shannon, with that background and knowledge, um, and then that's like what I try and do with food, um, we're able to use technology and use kind of some modern things, but still resembles um, that traditional style of cooking wherever it's from. Yeah. 
<clears throat> well, in the, the limited experience that I have, uh, I feel like you've definitely been able to kind of hit a home run with that, with keeping to the, the traditional uh, style food and not, you know, like altering it uh, a ton uh, or anything like that. So how was it, Matt, that you kind of, uh, I mean, how did you two, so Shannon, I, obviously the, the company was, uh, you're the owner and the founder. Um, how did, Matt, how did you kind of get involved uh, with the company, not just your role there? Yeah, so... Shannon, on the side of doing everything that she does, was also teaching um, a class over at Montana State. And through the program she was teaching and the program that I was in, we had a class overlap. And so she was a professor of mine um, for a class. And the following summer, I needed an internship and was super interested in what she was doing. And so it was kind of just fell in my lap um, as like a perfect internship, exactly what I wanted to do in an industry that I'm like super excited about, um, food and the outdoors, like that's everything that I love. So it was, um, just the timing was perfect and uh, I still had a year of school left, but I was working at Gastronome trying to help um, build it out as much as I possibly could. And like the role that Matthew has there now is not at all how it started. Like when he, when he first approached me, we, um, gastronome, when I say we, myself, um, didn't really have a space yet. We were still in the testing phase, which was in my garage. So <laughs> there wasn't exactly a role for him to take. Um, and he had expressed interest during the school year. And I was like, yeah, I don't really know what I'm doing. So I don't think I need any help. And when it had moved into a physical space and started to grow into a thing, um, Matthew's internship was um, semi-structured, but he was doing things like building equipment and building shelving and installing things and helping seal floors, like things that don't at all now resemble the role that he has as the production and safety manager, um, which is a wild thing to have someone on board from that point. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, it's almost like you were doing all the groundwork uh, in terms of like the floor and machinery, like just so that you could do your job, you know, like where you're at now, right? Like you hired him on and weren't really sure, you know, okay, what are we going to have him do? And then you're like, well, okay, we almost like, I don't want to say like busy work because I don't want to downplay the importance of the things that he did, but like, okay, you're going to do this stuff. And now you're going to be in charge of all that stuff that you just did basically. Yeah. I don't think there were like clear intentions of developing the role as yeah. it grows it becomes clear where someone needs to step in and their expertise applies. Um, and yeah, I don't think, I don't think busy work is a good term for it <laughs> because there were, I mean, if there was busy work, that would be awesome, but it's, it's a 24 hour a day, seven day a week operation, um, with no downtime. So it was, yeah, all those things that he was doing were groundwork for what we have now. And, um, to understand, you know, um, how to row a little boat, helps to save big boat future. Yeah. So Matthew, you had kind of mentioned it, um, talking about like some, some newer technology, uh, in the food industry. Um, so how is it like, I don't know a ton about the, the food industry, the culinary world, uh, other than that, I like food. Right. So, I mean, my, that's kind of where my, my expertise stops, but like, so, so what types of things I guess are you guys doing or are you implementing, um, that may be a little bit different than how, you know, maybe, um, you know, backpacking meals like this were prepared, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago? I think one of the keys is that we start with fresh ingredients. Like most of what you'll see 
is a bunch of pre-freeze-dried ingredients just mixed together in a bag in ratios. Um, and then you add hot water and mix them up. And that's all of like the flavor that's being combined. They're just all separate in there to begin with. Um, and so we're starting with fresh ingredients, cooking it in a way that that dish is supposed to be um, cooked and then freeze drying it. And there's a little bit of um, things we've had to play with, like certain fats that you know you can and can't use, like just different ways that things um, react to being freeze dried that have to be um, dialed in. But for the most part, it's just starting that process at fresh ingredients, high quality ingredients, and a method of cooking. Like if you're cooking a curry, you cook it in a way curry should be made, not dry all the ingredients separately and add hot water. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was just kind of, as, as you were answering there, Matthew, I was thinking about this is that, you know, a lot of the reason that, that people love to hunt, I mean, not only the experience, but like obviously the the wild game, right? Like the, the you know where your meat came from, like you're the only one to have ever touched it. You know, you, you harvest the animal, you, you clean the animal, you cook the animal. It's like it all kind of begins and ends with you. And so all of these hunters, uh, you know, men and women that are, you know, hunting for this specific reason are taking, you know, food into the backcountry that's like less than, you know, way less than what they're out there, um, you know, to harvest, to kill, to, to eat. So it's, 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 it's interesting. And I really like it that you guys took like kind of that same approach. You're like, look, if you're going to try to hunt like the most lean and best protein that's, you know, in the world, like why shouldn't you be taking your other meals with, or, or looking at your other meals with that same approach, you know? Yeah. And I think that is almost the whole of what we're doing is if you're willing to go to such great effort, whether or not you're hunting, but to bring yourself into the outdoors because you care about your body and you keep it fit and you care about the outdoors, why then backpedal to a point where you can't even recognize the things you're ingesting? Um, and so yeah, that, that answers a big why for us is um, that exact reason. Yeah. So kind of walk me through the process um, of what it looked like to, I guess, kind of conceptualize the, the first uh, meal that you came out with and then actually launching it and getting it to market. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> that's a long one. But uh, the first one that I and none of them really like were shaped out of some sort of, um, I don't know, plan, I guess some people have. Mine was just, uh, this would taste good and I would like to eat this outside and I really like to cook this. So the end. Um, and so I first tried my green curry, a recipe that I had learned while living and working in Thailand. And I was like, okay, I'll buy a dehydrator. You can buy them on Amazon for like a hundred bucks. Like what's the worst that can happen if this doesn't work? I send it back to Amazon or I have a hundred dollar dehydrator. Great. So I made my green curry and I threw it in the dehydrator and without tasting it or anything, I brought it, um, on a pack rafting trip by myself and was eating this, um, ridiculously crunchy meal. Um, <laughs> and I was like, okay, so I can't do it better or is it because freeze drying applies a different process that um, I don't totally understand. So then I started researching freeze drying. I was like, okay, I have to try it with a freeze dryer. So the next stage was like, all right, well, you already threw $100 away on a dehydrator. What are you willing to spend on a freeze dryer? And then I got in at like an entry level 
home freeze dryer, which I put in my apartment in Bozeman. Um, and, uh, then I tried it again and there were a few iterations, um, because there were a lot of different things that come out of a freeze dryer very differently than you expect. Um, and when I landed on an iteration that worked, I 100% I had to go forward with it. There was no turning back. I ate it and was like, I can't allow people to not eat this in the back country. This this is so far beyond what is currently available that this is my path and this is my calling. Um, so from there, then, I mean, I had three jobs this whole time um, just trying to make it work. I owned my consulting business, opening restaurants. So I'd be traveling to Charlotte, North Carolina to open a coffee shop and then coming back home and testing recipes and then um, teaching at MSU and the Gallatin College. I was teaching two courses. Um so it I, it probably took a lot longer than someone who might have um, more finances available to just throw money at it and, and start testing. Um, but I really had to piecemeal it in, in my kitchen. Um, and once I got one recipe, then it was um, just try another thing that I liked and that worked and kept trying them. Um, and I really, really, really wanted to make sure that I put effort and thought towards the branding of the concept and that it was something that would have longevity, um, that would be able to be left to my next generation um, should there be one. But I uh, started working with a branding company that used to be called Armstrong Marketing, now Hardy Brands, um, that helped me take my idea and put it into a functional um, platform like packaging and a website. And um, a lot of testing, just an incredible amount of testing and communication with uh, local government agencies, I think at the point that Matthew came on, I didn't have anything with a nutrition label on it yet. So then it became a lot about nutrition label sourcing, um, things like that. And um, that was when I was still like, uh, no, I had just moved out of a kind of co-op style kitchen into my own space. Um, so then once all those things were solidified, like packaging, website, nutrition labels, um, government agencies were locked and loaded, then it was about building a facility. And again, I'm sure it could have been faster for people had I had a different financial situation, but like I was sealing concrete floors and Matthew was hanging shelves and building equipment. Painting was me. Um, like everything that happened in there had to happen by somebody that I wasn't paying or myself. Um, so it just took a while and it was a, a hard task. And I think that does that answer how the course went? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So where did the name come from? Uh, gastronome. I I mean, gastronome, the word is, you know, one word, not two. And it means a lover of food. And it, it just seemed like a playful answer to what I was doing. So now all the while when you're kind of playing around with like after <clears throat> after the first curry meal and then you're like, OK, like. I've got to go forward with this and you start to, you know, play with other uh, meals um, and recipes and things like that. Like all the while, are you like giving, you know, kind of like samples, I guess, to, to like friends and stuff like that to be like, Hey, try this out. What do you think? You know, like, is this something that you would want to take with you? Yeah. I mean, I, yes and no, I wasn't exactly asking people whether or not they would take it with them because I was sure of it. Um, I would present it to someone and be like, Hey, can you tell me if this is too big? Um, and they would take it out with them and come back and say like, uh, yeah, it's a little too big. I would go less. Um, or I would take it out or send it with them and be like, Hey, is this too sweet? And, um, it wasn't so much like, 
hey, would you eat this or not? Like I was 100% positive this was going to be something that someone would eat. It was more like, tell me the, the little finite pieces that need to be changed. And that happened for, I don't know, maybe a year while I was um, trying to get my act together on it. But it was people that I shared an office space with. It was people at the university. It was um, shop owners in town. I would just drop off a plastic baggie of food and be like, hey, can you give me some feedback? Um, so yeah, that was happening. It still happens now. We're developing three new recipes to answer some breakfast needs and some dessert needs. And that happens now where I'll just send it out with someone and be like, hey, is this too big? Is it too sweet? Yeah. How much can you tell me about those? Because that's, that's kind of one of the things I want to know is, I guess, one, what all uh, meals or flavors do you offer right now? And then what do you maybe kind of have uh, coming down the pike? So we have five meals right now. Um, they're all in the dinner realm and they're really fantastic, but very different from each other. Um, some pasta bases, some rice bases and more of a stew um, hailing from different regions of the world and just answering some different feelings about food. I think there's one that's like really rich and satiating and hearty and one that's bright and light and delicious and one that's like spicy and burns and, and uh, really ups. The, the five menu items that we have now are uh, great and different and we've uh, had them for a little under a year. In December it'll be a year since all five launched. Okay. And the three that we're working on um, and no, I don't mind sharing it all. It's not a secret. Like we posted on our Instagram, like, which one do you want to see first? Uh, there's a bison chorizo breakfast hash. Um, Sounds really real, good. Yeah, it, that one's pretty awesome. But similar situation, I was like, Matthew, what's up with this? Is it too big? Um, does it need more spice in the chorizo? Things like that. So we're in the middle of testing that one. Um, there is a breakfast bowl that uh, is vegan um i had a lot of requests for vegan food which i'm i'm not particularly uh fond of cooking in that format but i am happy to answer that that need in the backcountry in a way that's really thoughtful and tasty and um sort of takes a different path than all other breakfasts in the backcountry realm right now really thoughtful bowl made with squash and um, sweet potato and um, things of the sort and then a peach cobbler that is insanely good and has a homemade vanilla ice cream, which as soon as I started testing that, like making a custard, it's like, this is so stupid. Okay, <laughs> I'm committed to doing this. I'm going to make ice cream from scratch every time. So, I mean, that's insane. Like peach cobbler with ice cream, like in the background. So um, do you guys know Sam Soholt at all? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so Sam, I mean, he's like the king of never go snackless when he's out hunting. Like, he's always posting stuff about that. And, like, that was, like, I feel like his, when you said the peach cobbler and ice cream, it made me think to, like, I think it was maybe last year or something when he was, like, he had he put, like, apple pie and ice cream in a Yeti and was, like, eating it in the tree stand. And it's like, this guy's revolutionary. Like, why didn't I ever think of this? But then you guys are, are now making this, like, available to the masses. That's incredible. I mean, Sam, if you're listening, I'm sure you will eventually. We'll send you one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Sam, Sam loves the snacks, though. Yeah. Um, so that's exciting. So, what kind of timeline are you guys looking at for hopefully, hopefully being able to launch that stuff? Oh, you know, it's not our first priority. We have an incredible amount of demand for our current lineup, and our first priority is answering those needs. Um, so right now, the focus is 
is meeting the current orders and pre-orders that we've got going on. And whenever we clear a little bit of space, we'll start um, pressing fast forward on the new flavor development. Right on. Well, yeah, I know, I mean, being here in the Midwest, and I know, Matthew, you and I talked, or the three of us talked uh, a few weeks ago before we set this up, and, and Matthew, you you grew up in Iowa, correct? So yeah. you kind of, from a from like an outdoor, like a hunting, I guess, uh, introduction and, and hunting a lot of whitetail and whatnot growing up, like, we, we've experienced the same types of, I guess, like scenarios uh, in terms of hunting where it's like, you know, maybe you hunt the morning, maybe you just hunt the evening, maybe if it's during the rut, maybe you're hunting all day, right? But for the most part, like if you're doing those all day hunts, like you're probably just like eating garbage, right? Like you're just, you're packing in a, a ton of snacks, little Debbie's, beef jerky, trail mix, whatever it is, right? And like usually like two o'clock, you either hit like a sugar crash or whatever the case is. But like I've been wanting to try to kind of like transition out of that and, and like have like kind of the Western style approach to Midwestern hunting just so that I'm not pumping myself full of garbage for, you know, the better part of October and November. Um, and yeah, I think... I think it's safe to say that I've for sure found uh, what I will be stocking the backpack up with for the tree stand. Yeah, peanut butter and jellies and Little Debbie's definitely get old, especially by like November 7th when you've done six days in a row all day in the stand and you haven't shot one yet. You're like, I need to eat something that's real. <laughs> yeah, it seems like whenever like late October comes around, I feel like I turn into like a 12-year-old kid uh, in terms of my diet. Because like, it's like you said, it's like Uncrustables, like peanut butter and jelly. Like, whatever is like the easiest that I can just throw in my bag. Yeah, it's – and then I, you know, mid-December, I'm like, 10 pounds, where'd that come from? It's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's that's what you ate for the past three weeks. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a, a misconception about how we always eat, which was funny when we first hopped on this uh, video call. I was like, oh, can I eat Cheetos on this? And you're like, you eat Cheetos? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these aren't exactly Cheetos. They're, they're like some version of, but uh, like in my pack is a couple Butterfingers. Like, we're not hated uh, eating only the food that we cook or the most natural food on planet earth to fuel our bodies. Like I ate a lot of ice cream. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I ate a lot of Cheetos. Yeah. There's no shame in that. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not here to shame anyone on what their, uh, food choices are because Lord knows I make a lot of bad ones. So, so I kind of want to kind of transition from from the food side of things uh, of the business and the brand to kind of, you know, the outdoor side of things. So first off, kind of like for, for the both of you, what did your introduction to the outdoors really look like? You first? You first, okay. Uh, so I grew up in Iowa, in the Midwest. Um, my dad was a big time hunter. Um, he was more waterfowl and upland um, kind of guy ran a lot of coon dogs um, in like high school and through college he trapped to pay for tuition, that sort of deal. Um, so I did a lot of bird hunting, um, small game hunting, that sort of deal. Brother's a big waterfowl guy. Then um, once my brother finally got kicked out of the house um, and went off to college, I picked up a bow. Um, my uncle and uh, cousin who was my age um, were big uh, deer hunters and picked up a bow and fell in love with it um, from the time I was like 15 on. I have I still hunt birds and um, that sort of deal, but definitely fell in love with 
uh, the big game hunting and shot some whitetails in Iowa. Loved it. Uh, but I was, I'm not very patient. Um, and so I would like see a nice whitetail walk by. And once he got out of sight, like I was jumping down from my stand and I was going to spot and stalk him. Like I can't sit in a tree stand all day. So when I started picking colleges, um, I looked at the programs like a little bit, but definitely (laughs) elk and mule deer out West. So I found Bozeman, um, and still getting into the ducks and whatnot with some buddies every once in a while, but big game is definitely like my main priority and that's what I love to do. Yeah. And you come from an area where, I mean, people want to go, I mean, I mean, Iowa's kind of like Iowa, Kansas. I mean, it was kind of like the Mecca for, for whitetail hunting, man. So for you to move on from that and, and want to chase that big game, I mean, yeah, that, that, that kind of speaks to, you know, how passionate you are about, you know, hunting and the, the fact that you're taking the untraditional approach of spot and stalking whitetails in Iowa is, is hilarious to me. It was the same through everything. Like sitting in a duck blind after like a half hour after shooting light, I was going on a marsh walk. Like if there was a duck spread, I was gone because I just can't sit in one spot. And so the big game thing like definitely alludes to that a lot more. You can just hike all day. You can make something happen a little easier. Um, whereas sitting in a stand eating a peanut butter and jelly, I'm like, what am I doing here? There's nothing there. I'm going to go find them. Yeah, you're you're in a bit more control of your circumstances uh, in that regard. So Shannon, what about you? How were you introduced to the outdoors? Um, how was I introduced to the outdoors? I'm, I guess, um, I think I grew up not exactly hunting or doing anything that now resembles how I experienced the outdoors. But, you know, my dad took me out, um, to shoot marshmallows in the pond when I was a kid and, um, little experiences like that, but mostly skiing was how I grew up and I didn't really engage with the outdoors in the same way that I do now. Um, Lots of city experiences led me to things like running, um, living in San Francisco led me to surfing, um, still a lot of skiing. It wasn't until I moved to Montana that I actually entered places that can, can really be considered the backcountry. Um, and then I fell in love with pack rafting, which allowed me the opportunity to just look for rivers that you had to hike to and, um, had to drop a boat into, and that was how I started to experience the backcountry. And so, if, um, for lack of a better term, a late bloomer in the outdoors, um, especially as it relates to the backcountry and hunting for sure. Last year was my first year hunting as an adult. Um, I think I probably put it in the back burner for a long time, and I forgot why, but my, ah, yeah, my dad's friend canceled on a hunting trip. Um, that he was supposed to go with last year. And so my dad called me and was like, hey, you're this hunting trip in Oregon. And I was like, that's cool. I don't know how to shoot a gun. And he was like, well, I will send you one. And you got to learn. And I was like, okay, how long do I have? He's like, it's in October. I was like, oh, okay, that seems like that's in a couple weeks. But all right, I'll figure that out. Um, and so uh, Matthew actually helped me sight in my rifle for the first time. Um, and I went on that hunting trip with my dad and my brother. And in last year's hunting season, um, I shot a deer in Oregon and here in Montana. And I just had such a great time. And 
Um, I'm so looking forward to this hunting season as well. Yeah, that's that's a really cool kind of uh, story from the uh, where you started to where you're at now um, kind of evolution. Because, I mean, while I did grow up, um, you know, hunting and fishing and, you know, our family, we did a lot of camping and stuff like that. But I also grew up like skiing, uh, like like what you're talking about. So it's like it's a completely different way to like look at the outdoors. But I think like it's just as impactful in terms of like growing your love and appreciation for the outdoors because like when you said experiencing the the backcountry you know through pack rafting i mean that's something that i'm sure there's a lot of hunters or anglers out there who like backcountry type stuff have never even like dabbled in right and you get like such this you know different perspective and way of of utilizing the backcountry but it's still the same appreciation which is really cool i mean it's it's two paths that end at the same place you know yeah and i think no matter what way you end up getting yourself into true backcountry, you have to learn to be extremely self-sufficient, which is what I love so much about it. You really have to rely on yourself and your knowledge and you have to learn hard lessons and um, carry them forward. And no matter what medium you choose to get out there, I think that's the best part of it. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's exciting. I mean, your first full season hunting and you're, you managed to um, harvest deer in two separate states. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, a lot of time on my feet, um, a, lot, a lot of scouting, a lot of um, hard-learned lessons for sure, uh, but yeah, it, it was fun. Yeah, and that's kind of what makes it, like the, the end result, the you know, the actual harvest like that much sweeter is like knowing that you did all this hard work, all this preparation, then like it actually, like everything comes to fruition, like you're able to punch that tag, and it's like, okay, like, I mean, everything, the meat tastes better. Like the pack out, like doesn't feel quite as heavy as what it really is. Like there's just a lot of like gratitude for the overall moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people, it, this happened often where people would be like, oh, that had to be really hard to then butcher, you know, your first animal. I'm like, uh, I mean, I rotated between butchering pigs and goats every week <laughs> for a couple of years. And this was pretty small and actually very convenient and I thought it was quite easy. Um, so that was a, a funny part of the hunting process was I had no idea what I was doing in order to get close to an animal and actually harvest it. Once I had it, then I was like, okay, this will take me a couple minutes. Yeah, that's insane <laughs> because I feel like a lot of people like look at the breaking down process and obviously out West, especially with like, um, you know, mule deer, elk, which are, you know, considerably bigger than like whitetail, like a whitetail, like you field dress it, you drag it out to your truck, whatever. But out there, I mean, you're you're quartering everything out. You're throwing it in game bags. You're putting it on your back. I mean, for you to be like, okay, animals down, like, like time to make <laughs> time to make quick work of this thing, right? We'll we'll be off the mountain in no time. I mean, yeah, that's that's a definite benefit with your culinary background. Yeah, and a lot of fun. It just makes the process thereafter really fun to allocate different cuts to different things and different projects that I want to do. And yeah, yeah, I'd imagine looking at uh, wild game or like a, a you know a full elk or a fuel a full mule deer uh, from like a, a chef's per, uh, point of view like you're probably looking at that thing like way different than like than I would right you're like ooh we can do this and we can do that with this cut and this with that cut whereas you know just probably your your average Joe is just like okay like here's the back straps you know here's you know here's the uh, the roasts or the loins like they 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 just they keep it very very simple yeah at the between us at the shop, like shop talk is really mostly about food. And it's like, oh, I made, what did you make the other day that you're talking about? 
Kafta. Yeah, like like talking about how to use different parts of the animal comes up pretty much every single day. Um, and there's no end to what is possible. And so um, those possibilities are what we basically talk about before, after, during work. Nice. So kind of sticking with the outdoors but shifting gears a little bit here, I want to talk about like the conservation side of things. I mean, obviously, uh, it was just announced a few days ago that you guys have become 2% certified. So first off, how was it that you learned about 2% for conservation? Um, I don't know how we came across 2% for conservation, but I connected with Jared kind of early on in the gastronome process, and we started talking about what 2% for conservation was and why it mattered and um, how to be involved. And the first parts of our conversation, I was like, oh my God, 100 billion percent about this want to be involved, um, and we kept having to press pause because um, gastronome was just in a, a period of growth. Um, so I kept our conversation alive. Um, we both connected a couple times. They stopped in and grabbed some meals. And then when I had a window of opportunity to be able to say like, hey, now's a good time. Let's do this thing. Um, then, then we did. And um, it was natural for us because from the get-go, we've always been a part of our community um, as far as conservation goes and making sure that we not only give money but um, pay attention to and commit to the foundations or the nonprofits that are doing the work that we can't totally pay attention to on our own at Gastronome. So um, it seems like a good fit. Yeah. So what are some of the organizations that you guys are either, you know, donating, uh, you know, some some money back to or that, you know, if you are able to get out there and put some boots on the grounds with with those organizations, what are some of those? Um, I mean, there, there's a big old list of those things, uh, but I think one that resonates most with the community that we're speaking to right now is the BHA and the Montana chapter of the BHA specifically. Um, we look forward to many opportunities of volunteering with them. Um, we're state members of the Montana BHA and business partners with them. And we, yeah, I think that's the one that probably makes the most sense to chat about here. Yeah. So I guess kind of big picture and you, you kind of touched on a little bit there in, in one of your original answers, but like, what does conservation, I guess, kind of like mean to gastronome and like, what does that kind of look like for you guys in, in, in kind of a, a big picture sense? Well, I think when we think about what gastronome is doing, we're creating food specifically to be taken into the outdoors, um, most likely on public land or, or some sort of land that needs protection. Um, so without that land, those spaces um, and somebody protecting them, we have literally no purpose. <laughs> um, not only for a business, but I don't, I don't personally feel like I would know what to do with myself if I didn't have the space to go explore our beautiful land. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think for us, conserving those spaces just makes sense. That being said, like, as we talked about before, there's only two of us, um, and we work pretty much 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And for us to be able to really make an impact on the conservation side of things, we at least for right now, have to trust that the organizations that we work with donate to um, try to sponsor fundraising events for, et cetera. Um, we hope to empower them to keep doing the work that they're doing so that conservation happens um, and we can be a part of it, but kind of at a distance while we pay attention to what we're up to. Yeah. And I think that 
that that approach is just as good as any other approach when it comes to conservation, because obviously it's it's very top of mind. It's very important. Uh, it's part of your business plan and your business model, uh, you know, now and going forward. Um, and I think a lot of times people tend to look at conservation is like this competition, right? Like whether it's from an individual standpoint or it's from a business standpoint, like, oh, we're doing this and this and this. And, you know, what are you guys doing? And I think there's a lot of that too much gets caught up in that, right? I think if everyone is just doing their part, I think that that should be celebrated, right? I don't think that you can do conservation, you know, like better than the next person, right? Because, you know, the way you practice it or I practice it or Matthew practices, like it's all going to be a little bit different, right? I mean, for the longest time, you know, you weren't a hunter and like maybe for Matthew and I, that was how we practiced conservation was, was through hunting, um, you know, and, and in that regard, but just because, I mean, there's just so many different ways to look at it. So I think that, you know, whatever approach that people are taking is, is obviously the right one for them. Yeah. And I think, uh, and I don't want to go that far into this, but even at like the littlest scale, um, the way that we approach food is a form of um, sort of taking a step back from what's happening to the food world and conserving the way that we believe food should be cooked. Um, not to say that that's you know our official stance and we're, we're making a conservation step there, but um, it's it's part of it. It's just we see food should be conserved in that way. But yeah, I. I believe that empowering people who are in the right positions to be conserving those spaces um, is our role right now. I don't think that'll always be it. I think at some point, if we continue to grow and have more resources, um, we can take a larger part in that. And um, I look forward to that. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's kind of like a, a very organic approach to it, right? Like you're not trying to uh, change or or you're not trying to you're not trying to do too much, right? You're like you're trying to, to do what you can uh, in the best way for you. And it's, you know, it's kind of like the same way with your cooking, right? Like you're, you're not altering a bunch of things just to try to make it work. Like you're, you're sticking kind of to the basics, right? And you're just doing it really, really well. Hey, thanks. I appreciate <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so kind of as, as you, you kind of evolve and, and gastronome has been what, three years you said, I believe. I've been working on it for now well over three years. Um, we launched in December of this year. Okay. I don't know. I don't know why I felt like I'd seen you guys before then. Uh, I don't know. Uh. You've been wishing for this to happen. <laughs> <laughs> wish granted. Wish comes true. Um, so I guess kind of big picture, what does the next like three to five years look like for you guys? You know, when I imagined that, generally speaking, I don't like to set goals. It's just not part of my personality or the way that I do things. And I don't like to set benchmarks and things of that sort. Um, and the very little ideas that I had about what we would be doing in three years are happening now. And it's been six months. So um, I'm not sure what the next three to five years look like. I think we stay true our, our brand values um, and we stick to that and keep growing in a very small but meaningful way um, and see where it gets us. Yeah, well, I certainly um, feel like you guys are, are taking the right approach to actually, you know, making the food. And I feel like I'm kind of beating a dead horse because I've said this, you know, multiple times throughout the course of our conversation here, but like you're doing something incredibly well with this food and you know, the way it's prepared 
it just it doesn't taste like something that should be coming out of a bag i guess and i mean that like in a very good way right like it's 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 it feels like something that i'm sitting down at the table eating not something i'm eating at you know 10,000 feet you know 15 miles from the nearest person i think i appreciate you saying that and i think that's exactly the response we were hoping to get from anyone that tries our food is like this is so different it literally flips on the head anything that we've seen previously and that's the response that we're hoping for yeah and i think one of the biggest differences and, and i don't know all of the different um you know manufacturers out there in terms of you know backcountry meals but like how many of them actually are like a culinary trained chef that are actually preparing these and how many are just like oh this seems like a good business plan a good business model uh let's try our hand at it and then they're doing like what matthew talked about earlier where they're just taking all these freeze-dried ingredients putting in you know portions and then saying here you go have at it you know i i i, I, I i'm curious and, and maybe you can speak to that a little bit like you know how that that kind of looks well um I'm sure there's some smaller companies that I don't know about. To the best of my knowledge, uh, Gastronome is the only one that has the the background that I have in cooking. Um, I do know of um, a couple other companies that have decided not to go with the same like big scale um, type of food operation. Uh, but I don't know anyone that's doing what we're doing with the skill set that we have. And I feel like that is all that people need to know right there. <laughs> Thanks. You really drove it home. Yeah. I, I'm not going to try to add on to that because nothing more needs to be said. <laughs> so before I let you guys get out of here and, and get back to the shop, obviously we are into August here, late August. What, uh, what big plans or anything like that do you guys have for, for this fall that you're excited about or you know maybe not just hunting but just big trips in general coming up for the rest of the year I've got a hunt with my dad the old man's coming out nice. um, not sure how long yet he's never hunted out west um, never heard an elk bugle um, his bow is actually my hand me down to him he wasn't an archery guy so okay. once I got a new after my one I old one um so i'm gonna get to kind of show him um something new kind of like you know he would have done when i was young um so gonna get him on his first bugling elk and uh that sort of deal so i'm super excited for that um and then we have a hunt planned kind of as a team um team gnome uh so we're not exactly sure what that looks like yet it was we're hoping to do a pack craft hunt, um, but with the crazy dry year we've had, yeah. a lot of those opportunities um, have literally dried up, <laughs> for the lack of a better word. <laughs> and so we're doing some scouting, trying to figure out uh, what that hunt looks like, have some promising spots, um, but that'll be fun just to get outside and hang out and hunt outside of the workspace. Yeah, that's super exciting to to be able to get your dad into that and to be able to kind of reverse roles from, you know, your entire youth and, you know, what your childhood looked like and your early part of your hunting career to be able to kind of flip that on its head and, and show your dad the ropes of, of real Western style hunting. Man, that's that's super exciting, man. I, I wish you guys the best of luck on that one. Yeah, thanks. What about you, Shannon? What do you got coming? Um, Well, like Matthew mentioned, we have that uh, planned pack raft hunt. Um 
that just probably won't pan out because of that. But I was really looking forward to figuring out the best method of madness to pack out an animal on a pack raft and combining two things that I really love. Um, but I'll, I'll look forward to however that hunt really, um, whatever it looks like in the future. And then the, I guess I, I didn't get a bear in the spring and I put in an incredible amount of time and really loved this place that I was hunting and, um, saw a bear that I became obsessed with and I never really had a solid opportunity. And I'm, I would like to go back into that area for fall bear, um, and just see what's going on there. And hopefully come across a, a similar bear, something um, cool. And so I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to um, kind of just the differences. I've had some spring bear fat and I haven't had any fall bear fat. And I, I'm really curious about the difference and kind of just figuring out the culinary side of that once that happens. Yeah, that's a, I feel like you're the first person. I, and I asked that, that question to most of my people to kind of most of the guests to kind of wrap that up i feel like you're the first person that's talked about looking forward to like a bear hunt a lot of them are like elk hunts mule deer hunts maybe like they're going up to alaska for like a sheep hunt or something but to talk about a bear hunt i like that and, and like always looking at it from the culinary side of things too like oh, i want to see what like the spring bear fat versus the fall bear fat like always always in that mindset always i mean that's what it's all about right yeah absolutely well, hey guys, Matthew, Shannon, I really appreciate you guys taking some time to, to join me today. Uh, it was really awesome kind of hearing more about both of your guys' kind of past to, to leading to, to where gastronome is now um, and actually being able to, to try some of the meals there. It's awesome and I can't wait to try more. Yeah, thanks for having us on. It was fun to chat about it. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, take care of yourself, guys, and we'll talk to you again soon. Cool. Sounds good. All right. All right. Well, thank you again to Matthew and Shannon for taking some time to join me today. Uh, definitely be sure to check them out. I would also like to thank the partners of the podcast, Stone Glacier and Go Hunt, as well as Wild Rivers Coffee Co., uh, as well as 2% for Conservation. And if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And there you can see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also encourage you guys to follow 2% on social media where they're going to post only positive content so you'll enjoy that conservation-focused posts in your feed. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Remember, stay safe out there and conservation starts with you. Music